Well, John really got me this time. Uh, he and I trade each other, giving each other ideas for these sermon series. And I give him ideas for sermon series, and then he has to preach the sermon on it. He, he got me this time because he's doing this sermon series on our place in God's world. And he left and gave me family to do, which is big enough for, for five sermons. And it's hard to figure out exactly where to focus. I, um, I thought because I was wanting to mask my confusion that I'd maybe start out with a joke about family. There's a whole lot of them out there. And I thought, you know, um, maybe I'd make it at my expense. I could not find one that was just offending me and wouldn't also hit a whole nother big group of people too. <laughs> so uh, I, I disposed with that. In the United Methodist Church, you know, in, in some churches they do a really big productions for Mother's Day and Father's Day. And um, uh, we've, we've tended to shy away from that in the Methodist Church because there are so many different situations that mothers and fathers are in or the way people feel about their mothers and fathers. And they tried to come up with a kind of generic Methodist uh, celebration called Festival of the Christian Home. Uh, but since nobody else has it on their calendar, it, we just don't do that much with it. So I'm gonna take a, a stab at family about our place in God's world with family. And um, this will not probably be an official definition that would be acceptable to a sociologist, but a family is a group of people related to each other by blood or by legal commitments to each other. And there are lots of different kinds of those legal commitments, marriage, adoption, fostering, domestic partnerships, there are even things like power of attorney, medical power of attorney. And those legal commitments uh, can be undone and uh, not without sometimes quite a bit of pain and, and suffering and disruption. Families are held together uh, by an economic and a legal and an emotional and relational interdependency with each other. Now, uh, probably when most uh, ministers want to talk about family and, the, and, and God's idea for family, uh, they will turn to the scriptures and the temptation is to look at little snippets of advice that deal with different roles of family members. And um, I am going to not take up that temptation. And I'm going to tell you why, because I think it's a little bit hazardous. The scriptures were written over a period of 2,000 years, and, and they have a, a wide span of, of social and, and economic situations that are going on in them and different family configurations that go throughout the scriptures. So in, in, in the very earliest scriptures, when it was a largely agrarian society and, and uh, production of lots of children was part of economic provision, uh, even though it doesn't prescribe, it acknowledges uh, polygamy and, um, and has some rules about the way you would deal with that. 
Uh, and then in the, in the very most recent part of the New Testament, which is still uh, almost 2,000 years old for us, the image of family that is envisioned there is uh, the Roman patriarchal household where the, the father has uh, all of the power over the lives of the people in that household, uh, even to the extent of power over their lives. And, and uh, the father has absolute uh, economic power. And so largely, I think, the, new te the, the scriptures do not prescribe specific family structures. They deal with the family structures that are there and try to shape them Godward. So that's why I'm not going to just go and look at the lines that give advice on how you handle a specific family role. I don't think it's a very good way to read the scriptures. Now, another, another complicating factor, and, and why I will not just go take a line um, about family from the scriptures, is that all of the scriptures and the family configurations that are uh, described therein are all very patriarchal in nature, which means that, that men control the power of the family, the economic power, the inheritance, um, and that is not the case anymore. I'm personally fairly glad about that. Um, but to just take and transpose that into our setting would be uh, really fallacy, I think. Nevertheless, I do think there are some principles, some principles behind the scriptures and some of the things that they have to say about family, about all the things they have to say about family. And so I, I do want to try to, to lift those up um, even as we, we think about our context today. Well, one thing that's a, a characteristic of family, and I don't know any better way to say it, and that there's a certain isness about the family, as in it is what it is. Uh, we, we can't help who our parents are, uh, nor any of the other people who were put into the household with us of our birth, and, and they can have a, a big impact on our lives. Uh, and, and so in that sense, you know, Family is an irreducible reality when we're talking about our, our, our blood family. But even in the arrangements that we've chosen, marriage, uh, everything else that are legal arrangements that we've chosen, uh, there's a certain element of isness in it, by which I mean, so you get married to someone and they have all of these wonderful things that you, you, you love about them and that you've fallen in love with this person. And, and uh, it usually doesn't take too long then when you also start seeing all of the other things that come with the package. Uh, and uh, that's when the isness comes. So there's all of these great things you love and then there's all of this stuff that's also like, oh, really? And then you sink into it. Uh, there are so many things I, I love uh, about, about my husband. Um, World War II movies constantly on screen is not one of them. 
and I won't talk about other habits related to channel surfing, but this, was, this is not an aspect of his personality that I, that I relate to very much. I've had to work at it because there is no getting rid of it. Um, I think I've really come a long way when recently I, I, I delightfully read an article in the dispatch and found out that aircraft carriers, old World War II aircraft carriers, can actually hold nine acres worth of landing strip and 21 planes. I had no idea. And I was excited about that. It's changing me. But there's something just given about family that we just have to deal with. And the other strange characteristic about family is that it, there's, there's a, a system of power relationships that are based on need, and those change over time. Because as people go through the different stages of life, their ability to contribute more to the family or slightly less uh, changes. Children uh, start out completely dependent, and then they start to have a system where you're trying to share power by empowering them, but they still need you a lot. And, and then comes that time in which they really think they're independent, but it flips on and off really quickly. Uh, that goes on for a little while, and then those years when what children need are kind of wise advice. And then, then there's another flip later on in life as, as people age sometimes. Uh, in the normal process of aging, there's some uh, decrease in energy, uh, strength, vitality, uh, and oftentimes there are changes in, that are radical in our ability to take care of ourselves. And so families are constantly making these adjustments over time. Uh, and why? Why do we do it, and, and, and what is it supposed to be about? So I think the scriptures, um, I'm gonna lift up five things I think that are kind of basic principles in the scriptures about families. Uh, first of all, families, give us a sense of identity. Um, and, and that sense of identity and knowing who we are is uh, so strong and so powerful that it behooves parents and everyone who is working with children in the home to do everything in their power to give them a sense of worth by providing for their basic needs and accepting their personality, their strengths, and their weaknesses. The love and acceptance that is experienced in the home of origin has a powerful, powerful impact on our sense of identity and self-worth. That sense of identity and self-worth being related to our family continues on uh, into life. I think even as parents, in some sense, we kind of reflect our, we hope our family reflects well on us, and it's, it can be a kind of ego-feeding thing. There's a temptation in that. There's a temptation for that to become more important than the 
nurture and the individualization of the child. So families have this powerful effect on our sense of self. And lots of times, parents kind of get a, a jump start on this acceptance because, you know, maybe the child has some characteristics in common with the parents. The apple doesn't far, fall far from the tree. Oh, I can relate to that. I, I love that, and, and it's great and makes me look good. But it's not uncommon, even in families of blood origin, that children have different personalities, different characteristics than the parent. And then it can be a little more challenging. I'm a nerd. I've always been a nerd. My husband doesn't like to hear me say that because he doesn't want to be married to a nerd, but I really am a nerd. I, I've always been bookish and ideas-oriented and I don't know. Uh, and that's the way I kind of understood how people develop. Well, neither one of my children are nerds. They are doing people. They're not abstract people. They're concrete. They learn by working with their hands. They like to build things. They're very practical. And, and for the longest time as a parent, I kind of didn't have this gut sense of what, what they needed in their stage of development. But I kept working at it. I kept working to try to relate to them and understand what they loved. And I have to say now that if I had the opportunity to have had two nerd children, I wouldn't have traded the ones I have for the world because through them, I've learned to appreciate a whole delightful other way of approaching life and a whole different set of gifts. And it's been a real blessing, but it wasn't always easy to get there. So families are a place of identity, of self-worth cultivation. And you know, those times when love is a little bit harder to, to work at, at expressing because you don't understand another person, sometimes it's more powerful. Um, Andrew Solomon has one of the, my favorite books ever. It's called Far From the Tree. I highly recommend it to anyone. And it's about being a parent, but it's also just about life and being a person. Andrew Solomon says, love is made more acute when it requires exertion. And that is one of the reasons we love our families so much. We've had to really work to understand exactly what love looks like in those relationships. So second principle, uh, I don't know if you uh, heard the microphone uh, was not on right at the beginning, but uh, Connie started out our scriptures by sharing from the Ten Commandments, um, honor your father and mother. And I've uh, probably had multiple conversations over the course of my ministry with, with uh, uh, adults whose um, parents have, have not nurtured self-acceptance in them, parents whose love has uh, not been uh, 
absent of, of their own egotistical motives, parents who have maybe been uh, kind of dysfunctional. And, and they've struggled with this honor your father and your mother primarily because they've thought that it means somehow you have to love them just the way they are and, or you have to, uh, and you have to obey them. And, um, and I, I, I think that there's a, a more important different meaning going on and honor your father and your mother. If you think back to uh, its setting, the people who were being spoken to were adults, not children. Well, how old are the adult, the mother and father of adults? They're older adults, right? Um, it's being spoken to adults about caring for their mother and father. Now, if you think about a time in which people do not uh, have social security, they don't have pensions, most of the ways that people earn their living is by physical labor, in those settings, older adults are in a state of kind of depending again on the family on the family they raised, the power shifts, and parents need us again. And that's a tricky thing to negotiate. I remember my father uh, had Parkinson's, and um, it involves some loss of muscle control and other things. And uh, before he was uh, in a, a care center uh, full time, was living at one of my sister's houses. I was spelling her and taking uh, care of him. And it was the first time I remember I had to uh, help him when he had soiled himself. And he was confused and didn't know how to kind of take care of the situation. And uh, he was really awkward for him to ask for help. And it was awkward for me to, you know, say, don't worry, Dad. And, and uh, at one point, he just said, you shouldn't have to do this. And thank goodness, it popped into my head. Dad, did you resent me when you changed my diaper all those years? If you didn't resent me when I changed your diaper, when you changed my diaper all those years, will you please let me honor you by helping you. So I think honor your father and your mother is that the power, um, relationships that we have in families are meant to be avenues for love and service. And when the power dynamics shift and, and the elderly people in the home are no longer as economically viable and productive as they were, they are still to be loved and treasured and valued. And really, we can extend that to all people who are aging and elderly, or anybody who falls into a time through illness or some other disability where they need care and had not previously. So honor your father and mother is about 
not only being takers in life, but in its most fundamental phases, being givers also, being givers, takers in mutuality and caring for one another. Third thing about families. Families exist uh, so that children can be socialized, so that they can learn everything that they need to know in order to um, someday assume uh, relative independence and, and uh, take their place in the world, use the gifts God has given them to the extent they, they've been given gifts. And parents are, every single one of them, teachers all the time. But families, the scriptures remind us, are not just about socialization, but they're also to be places where children are seen as spiritual beings and where they are brought into a cultivation of relationship with faith and faith tradition. I know that many, many people think about a faith as something that's very important a person be free to do on their own, and I agree. Um, and so some people take this backwards from adults and right into children and say, you know, I, I, my kids, they don't necessarily like going to church, and we're, we're going to let them uh, decide when they're older what they want to do. And I suppose that can work. On a practical matter, though, I think it's putting a child in a difficult position because faith is not really just a set of knowledge, a set of beliefs. It's actually practices embedded in a community. It's a way of living. It's learning how to pray by experiencing it. It's, it's finding out about the people in the family of God and your place in them. It's, it's a whole set of behaviors and experiences. And if children haven't been given that foundation, I'm not sure that they even know what they would be choosing later in life if they haven't been given a foundation. And so families are a place to share the love of God in our faith. One of my favorite people in the world is my hairdresser. Uh, he is a, a really thoughtful, intelligent person, and uh, he says he's not a believer, but we have conversations about faith all the time, and he's always asking me about what's going on here at the church, and he asks great questions. And uh, every now and then, in the midst of one of those, I'll throw out an invitation to him, why don't you come? And uh, uh, he says, well, I'm an atheist, you know. So uh, I can't remember what the conversation was last time we talked, and I had this opening, and I made that invitation, and he said, you know, uh, really the nicest people I know are atheists. And, and then uh, I just let that sit, and I said, well, there are a lot of nice atheists. I let that sit, and we were locking up the shop because I was the last client. We were walking out together, and he said to me, you know what? He grew up in a really conservative Christian home in Indiana. He said, you know, my favorite, still one of my favorite songs is my mom used to sing it. We sang it in church. We were in church three times a week. It's Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. He started singing it. And I was like, wow. Um, but my old man, 
undercut the message of that every week when I was never good enough for him and I could never make him happy and I just knew there was never going to be a place for me in a church. So the family was trying to do spiritual sharing, but the way it was done undercut the message of love and welcome and acceptance. I'm going to keep working on him. Families have a mission and are called to share it with children. So, for it's not, I don't think, any kind of uh, coincidence that in the Gospel of John, Jesus' very first miracle takes place in changing water into wine at a wedding so that the party, the celebration, can continue. Families are meant to celebrate together. It seems like it's a a small thing, but it's not a small or incidental thing. Families need to celebrate together. They need to play together. It's what creates the energy of goodwill that gets people through the patient hard work of understanding and tolerating, sharing space all the time with other people. Families, and by families, I would include Jesus' kind of family, which was a single person who had significant relationships based on his mission with others. Jesus was a family, a single household. Families need to cultivate celebration. I think a lot of couples that I've seen who have difficulty uh, at some point in life uh, don't always have difficulty primarily because of the challenges they face, and there are many. But I think families can have difficulty sometimes simply because they haven't taken enough time to celebrate together and build up the good energy that gets us through hard times. And last thing, it's a very clear message of Jesus that the church is called to be a family, a new family, a family that is based uh, differently than any other. And if you or somebody you know feels like you've had a family that's not given you a good start in life, it's really important that you hear Jesus' message that people in a spiritual sense, in a relational sense, can really be born again, born of the Spirit, and born into the family of God. You are a child of God, first and foremost above any specific family of origin or current membership, you are a child of God. And as such, God's love is waiting for you to grow and nurture you, to love and care for you, to bring you into a community of love and care. 
Jesus says, whoever does the will of God is my mother and my brother and my sister. Um, ben Addison from the early service said, we really should, now we, we should have Andrew start playing, we are family. But um, <laughs> I wonder if you, like I, can have a vision for this church. I have a, ever since I've come to King Avenue, one of the most wonderful things about this place is to see all the different kinds of families. All the different structures and configurations and how beautiful they all can be in their own way. And I believe what a gift it would be to ourselves but also to the church at large to make a major focus of who we are together, to be strengthening Christian families, the modern Christian family, and helping all of our different kinds of family structures, single people, grandparents with children, straight and gay, and foster, adopted, single people who make promises to others to care for one another. If we could make those beautiful, strong, Christian households, I believe it would be a wonderful witness for the world. We are doing that, and to make it even more explicit and to make resources for that that we could share with others would be a real blessing. I pray that we'll start looking at our congregation with those kinds of eyes. One of the things we have happening right now is we have a lot of people who are aging, as single households, start thinking about including people in your family because they're part of your church family so that we can make that loving relationship embedded in our practices. And I believe God's joy will be made complete in our embrace of the beauty of all kinds of families. Uh, may it be so.